In studio with me is Roger Bianco. Uh, Roger, you are a thought leader, and uh, you were probably the first person that explained to me the Overton window. And so explain that to our listeners. Okay, so I learned about the Overton window in um, uh, about five years ago in depth. I'd heard about it before, but through leadership program of the Rockies, they, get, they dig in deep on what that is uh, when they're talking about kind of the whole function of leadership program of the Rockies, which is to change, to change the culture. Uh, and essentially what this is, is this is a, a, a tool created by a gentleman named Joe Overton, I believe, out of the Mackinac Institute in uh, Michigan. Okay. And what, he, what, what they're trying to do is to figure out, he was trying to figure out, okay, where, how can we measure the success or failure of think tanks? What, what do they do? What, what's the impact that they have on uh, the, the public debate and in the public sphere? And so they came up with this idea of the Overton window, which is instead of right or left, kind of similar to the theme that you talk here about, which is a wonderful theme. Instead of right or left, they, they change the edges of the continuum and they make them more free or less free. And I've seen it presented horizontally. I've seen it presented vertically um, either way. And it's a way to gauge what is permissible in society and in culture to discuss. So what are the issues that are permissible to discuss? And you see this tug of war where um, play out in real life. So, for example, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez talks about, you know, how we should all be socialists to oversimplify. And President Trump goes on the uh, State of the Union and says, we will never be socialists. That they're, what, they're, what those two people are doing there is tugging. They're trying to tug the window mm-hmm. toward more free. Trump saying we're not going to be socialist and less free. Cortez saying we are. So uh, how you use your microphone and how that impacts the public sphere and what's permissible and not permissible to talk about. Mm -hmm. So it slides towards more free. It slides towards left free. Generally speaking, over the last 120, 130, maybe even 150 years, it slid more towards less free Mm -hmm. uh, here in the United States. And so that's unfortunate, but government has grown, all those kinds of things. And the window itself can, can change. It can become larger or smaller. What is permissible to talk about along this more free or left free continuum uh, can be it can become bigger or smaller. So, example on college campuses, it's really small. The, the mm-hmm. window seems to be very small. You can't, in fact, visiting um, a university with our uh, junior in, in high school who's going to go to college at a genetics department. One of the, the the leader of the genetics department was telling us that it's just a travesty that that they can't talk about issues. The the, the should we or should we not do X in genetics? They can't even talk about it because certain students are quote unquote triggered. They're told by the administration to not talk about these things. And so that's an example of the shrinking of the Overton mm-hmm. window because now there are things outside of what is permissible to discuss. And so it, it, it's a, I, I credit the Mackinac Institute and, and, and Overton for trying to measure something that's difficult to measure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it gives us a framework to consider what's happening in the culture and what might the outcome be legislatively, regulatorily, electorally, um, in, in circles of education. This is a big deal in my opinion, but that's you, essentially what it is. You know, and I, I should find this quote on Ronald Reagan, but I think we remember that regarding we, we shouldn't have you know, in the Republican Party, uh, a circular firing squad, right. which uh, we, we do on a rather cons- – although it's, it's probably going to get real interesting regarding 20 people running for president on the Democrat side. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, Pre- uh, President Reagan said, if you're with me 80 percent of the time, then uh, you're my friend. But, Roger, what I think that I've seen is is that – this Overton window has continued we, uh, to move to the left. We, we've given up 20% of freedom here. 
Then we've given 20% of freedom up here. Right. Then 20. So we now have what we have here in Colorado. And there has to be, I think, some non-negotiables regarding the Overton window. Uh, and one of those, and we were talking about the, it, I was talking with a friend of mine, the Second Amendment. You know, the Bill of Rights, those have to, you know, freedom of speech, those have to be non-negotiables. And as you mentioned on on uh, college campuses, there's really not freedom of speech these days. Absolutely not. It, it, it's if, if you start to go down the road of something that might that someone else might perceive as being uh, incorrect or whatever the label you want to put on it, it, it's then comes the shaming system. I call it the shaming system where, you know, how dare you talk about that? And they wave their finger at people and that tends to shrink the window. But you're right. There has to be some things that are unnegotiable. A friend of mine once said, you know, there's no one on the far side. You got, you got these leftists battling it out right now in the Democrat primary. And and they're talking about daycare for all Medicare for all. And, all these wonderful, flowery-sounding things that are quote-unquote free, and those sound really good to a certain chunk of the electorate. Who's on the other side talking about and, uh, the opposite end to try to pull that window back the other way? <clears throat> well, and Trump's been trying. He's been trying. You know, uh, for him to stand up and say, we are not going to be a socialist country. Uh, I mean, I've, I've seen... Um uh, politicians and bureaucrats that supposedly are, <clears throat> when we talk about Republican, yeah. in, in the truest sense of the word, that would be uh, a party that believes in the individual. That would be a party that believes in less taxes. That would be a party that believes in less regulation. So when I got on city council and I saw people that had ours behind their names, that's what I thought they stood for. Right. But that's not, that's not what a lot of ours do stand for. Not, yeah. No. You know, and so we need to pull, and that's why I've changed my my tagline from conservative to conservatarian. Yeah, that's uh, because uh, yeah, that's uh, a great descriptor. So, but let's talk just a little bit about this. Um, this is an article that was in the Federalist, and it says uh, the title is "Children's Don't Need Daycare for All; They Need Their Mothers." And this article has many arguments against daycare for all, including studies that show that children's stress levels immediately drop when they are suffering just upon hearing their mother's voice. And long-term studies show a correlation between the amount of time a child spends in daycare and a poor relationship with his parents, cleanliness, aggression, risk-taking, depression, defiance, impulsivity. The earlier a child enters daycare and the longer he spends there each week, the worse these emotional and behavior problems seem to be. Additionally, 6 in 10 American adults think children are better off when one parent focuses full-time on raising them. Mothers themselves, besides the three-quarters with young children who prefer part-time or no employment, also cite work flexibility and part-time work opportunities as desires in roughly equal proportions as wanting cheaper um, childcare. Yet instead of exploring the preferences that are likely to yield to better outcomes for children, politicians are focusing on programs that we cannot afford that do not support what most women want nor is best for their kids. The conclusion of this article brings up the Overton window. We mostly hear so-called arguments that because somebody somewhere wants something, she should have the right to force other people to pay for it. Wild arguments like this are designed to shift the Overton window hard left so that it seems reasonable to only soft collectivize child care through proposals like Ivanka Trump's paid leave. Right, right. You know, so they're moving the, the, the window over towards daycare for all. More free, less free. The mother who decides to stay at home and be be a primary, you know, be a primary home home caregiver versus the the mother who goes back to work. It's fine. And no one's saying that the mother can't go back to work. Right. Um, 
But to say that, okay, because I made my choice to go back to work, therefore I want the mother to stay at home and her family to pay for my kids' health care. That, that, that or child forced care. to pay, mm-hmm. or child care, to, to forced to pay for was the key thing there. That limits incrementally, but there's a lot of little incrementally things, there are things that incrementally limit freedom, but that's going to take a little bit more money out of the pocket of the family that has to subsidize the health care some way, shape, or form. You can't just kind of um, wish away funding for, for child care. Uh, and that's going to limit that. That means a friend of mine always told me, he said, if, if you take if, if money comes out of my pocket, that means I do I either contribute less to causes. Um, I pay less in taxes or I consume less. And that's it. It's a finite number of options. So the more money that comes out to force to pay for the other person's health care or, or child care, the less freedom incrementally that family has. It's not a big thing in and of itself in terms of the dollars, but. We take on this attitude. I see a lot of voters taking on this attitude. Oh, it's just another five cents here. It's just another dime here. And after, I mean, that stuff stacks up. You know, talk to Mr. McBride about how little incremental gains in an investment portfolio Mm -hmm. can make a huge difference over time. And it can make a big difference over time for people uh, to give them more freedom or less freedom by allowing them, allowing them to keep more money or taking or take money away. So it's, it's the nature of the idea of the force. And the, which makes that, that stay-at-home mom and her family a little bit less free. And it's the idea of uh, limiting their options. That, and well, and you know, the other thing about daycare is daycare is expensive. Yeah. And one of the reasons is, is because of all the rules and regulations. You know, uh, when my kids were little, I had a neighbor down the street that I don't know if she was licensed or not, but I knew her. And, you know, she would have, you know, taken some kids. And so if I had to go do something, I'd drop the kids off there. And uh, if you have to be licensed and if you have regulators coming in, I mean, these daycares, it increases the cost to them. And so it increases the cost. And so then you see government coming in saying, okay, we'll help alleviate that cost because we'll have daycare for all. And so they're trying to move that Overton window. Yeah, increase the cost and then drive. And and then the other idea is this idea of force. Um, I think it's Senator Holbert, I think, where I heard this from. He made a comment. Four, four words that I think are very important to remember is that all government is force. And so this idea that the government should force another family to pay to subsidize another family's decisions mm-hmm. is, is that has a uh, it's unfair. It's unfair and it has a moral connotation to it. Unfair is the right word. Go ahead. Like, it's same thing with the arts. Okay, I'm not, I'm, I play the drums. I'm in a rock cover band. I do all this fun I didn't stuff. Know that. I, yeah, I love music. Um, May 18th, we're playing a concert benefit. I might as well toss that out. They okay. cancer benefit <laughs> in Nevada. But the point is that uh, I love it. I'm not. I'm not uh, against the arts. That's a crazy thing to say that someone is against the arts, especially someone like me. But I don't think I should be forced to pay for a performing arts center be it sponsored by the state or sponsored by my local community, because chances are I'm not going to use it. I'm not against a performing arts center, but is it, is it right for the government to tell me that I need to pay for that? Because five people who sit on a three out of five people who sit on a town council decided to do that. I don't think it is. If you want to go to the, to go see the things at at the performing arts center, do it. My wife and I made a contribution to our, our daughter's choir. And in fact, we don't want any of the advertising. We just want it's a wonderful thing and they create beautiful art. But I don't want the person that's next to me who's an empty nester to be forced to do that, to subsidize something that my daughter does. I don't think that that's right. I think that there's to your point about right and wrong. That is wrong. It's just wrong to feel like you want something. Therefore, other people should pay for it and you should use the force of law to get other people to pay for it. And hopefully I'm moving the Overton window back over to 
more free. <laughs> more free. That's for sure. Let's go to break, Roger. This is such an uh, important conversation, and this go- is going really quickly. There's so much I want to say about that, but you also had a couple of stories. So we'll talk about what we're going to talk about when we come back from uh, break. This is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks. Stay tuned. Roger Bianco, Thought Leader, is in studio with me. We're talking about the Overton window. I know you have a, a story that you want to tell, but very quickly, you mentioned the Performing Arts Center, yeah. you know, and I was on city council for Lone Tree. And I, I, and it was always touted as, oh, isn't this great? The developer that's developing Ridgegate, um, I think, donated, I can't remember exactly what, but, but I'm kind of like, wait a minute. Uh, you know, we're making decisions regarding, you know, land use and getting donations from the, but it's for the city. I mean, I don't know. I didn't like it that much, yeah. but I felt compelled that I needed to, you know, buy tickets and go to the, go to the art center. And I realized, you know, basically what we're doing is subsidizing the art choices for a lot of people, many of them on the council, that wanted to go to the the center. And I'm kind of like, wait a minute. You know, if you want to go to that and and what the real cost is, because it was subsidized significantly, if it had the, you know, the real cost of what your ticket is, you might not even go. And but yet then I you know I'll get flyers in the the mail about what the upcoming programs are and it's expensive to make those glossy flyers I mean if you're a, 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 a sole proprietor or if you're in private enterprise I mean that's expensive to do that and then I realized and Susan Kochivar is one of my sponsors and then you've got uh, these art centers that are competing with somebody like her who's an entrepreneur who is competing for those dollars for people to come to the movies. It's yeah, like it's a movie theater. Yeah. It's not fair. No, yeah, and you can't compete. I can't compete. You know, one individual person can't compete against the government's power to to tax and... Uh, and spend. And spend. <laughs> I was out in Grand Junction. Uh, this was probably two, three years ago. And I noticed that they have... I love Seinfeld. Jerry said that, that TV show, which mm-hmm. is now being called Politically Incorrect. It's kind of funny to watch the left kind of eat themselves on that. But... Um, they, they had posters up there. They were going to – there was a, a referendum to support a expansion or a building of a new kind of cultural center. I, I'm not sure what it was because I already have a very nice convention center. But there was a, a poster that said, hey, Jerry Seinfeld will come to Mesa County, Colorado and perform for us if you vote for this bill and, oh, or if you vote for this referendum. I thought, are you kidding me? So the role of government – I love Seinfeld. But, I, again, the role of government is not to have – it, 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 me to to vote to force other people so that I can, I mean I've seen him and I'll pay for him if I want to see him and he's great he, I laughed so hard I cried three times the last yeah. time I saw him when he came to Denver but it, 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 the other people should not have to pay for that it should not be forced and that's a word that I think our side must use a lot more the word force use and it correctly that, but and that is resonating you know uh, you know what I'm seeing with uh, these moms that are concerned about this vaccination bill yeah. is force and um, uh, 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 you know what? I, there's things I want to say about that, but you have a story. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Well, just real quick. My wife and I on business went over to Vietnam and Cambodia, and we spent three days in Vietnam. And I think this illustrates what's what's at stake. Um, once you go through leadership program of the Rockies, you start to see things a bit differently. And I think this illustrates what's at stake with the Overton window and why we must move this window more toward free. Because in education circles, the window seems to have been moved toward, towards less free, and it has shrunk, mm-hmm. even though a lot of people in those circles feel that's, that's not the case. Uh, but here's why I, I see this. Um, in the, uh, the Howlow prison, we did a, a range tour with the, at the Howlow prison, which we in America know this is the Hanoi Hilton. This is where Senator McCain was kept, a number of our airmen who were shot down over Hanoi. 
um, to make a to make a long story short, because I know we're limited on time. Uh, it's a very impersonal, gray, high walls, barbed wire kind of place that what you would expect at a concentration camp. It was actually built by the French to imprison the Vietnamese. And about 90 percent of that place is is about that. The French, they usher Americans, probably thousands of hundreds, if not thousands of Americans through that place. And they tell them the story about how the French mistreated the Vietnamese. And they go to great lengths to vividly bring that to life. Um, about 10 percent of the tour is how, the U.S. airmen. And it's laden with propaganda. What, what, what people like you and I, Kim and Steve, we would recognize as propaganda. You walk into one of the very small places where they kept our, our airmen, and um, you see uh, on, the, on the wall is a uh, film showing, showing the economic miracles of Ho Chi Minh in northern Vietnam, the economic agriculture miracles. And I just remember looking at it going, gosh, that's straight out of the 1960s. Yeah. There's no progress here. They're still driving this propaganda. Then there's this hallway. Imagine a hallway, very gray, lit by natural light, but it's about 25 or so feet long. On the right side are these probably two and a half foot by three and a half foot rectangular storyboards, probably about a 10 of them that tell the story of the U.S. airmen in, in, in uh, the Hanoi Hilton. But it's all, you know, pictures of them eating, uh, smiling and eating Thanksgiving dinner and playing volleyball. And here's Senator really? McCain getting medical treatment and see how nice we were to these people is kind of the idea. And I was walking through this hallway. Young gentleman couldn't have been 33, 34 years old, probably maybe even under 30. Um, been through the education system in North Carolina, a quote-unquote Republican state mostly, uh, looking at this, one of the stories, and he said in his southern accent, he said, well, I guess our boys have been treated fairly here. That's my terrible oh, southern my accent. Gosh. They were treated pretty good, and I thought to myself, are you kidding me? Later on in the day, I said, you understand that was just propaganda. And the look that, that he gave back to me was of one of, I would call it, nothing short of profound confusion, because he didn't he just kind of it seemed like the word propaganda didn't register and the idea that that we would not have gotten accurate information at that tour it was was just foreign to him the the lack of again there's the lack of critical thinking mm-hmm. kind of going they tilt your head to the side and go really was it just i mean i saw senator mccain and his arm it's the evidence was there this gentleman was profoundly mistreated um, it wasn't all roses and Thanksgiving dinner and volleyball, you know, and, but that's what they wanted us to believe. So we've got to move the window towards more free and we've got to expand the window of the ideas that things are that, that, that uh, which ideas can be discussed because it's shrinking, it seems, and it's moving toward less free. And now we're missing things like the, to be able to recognize lies of a socialist slash communist government th- th- messaging. We've got to be able to recognize that messaging and think critically about it. So it's, it's an important issue. And Roger, it's work. It is really work to have these conversations because you have to be really informed and it's, it's work. And that's why, that's why I'm doing the show is, is to, to hopefully help give people tools to be able to converse with their friends and their family and their colleagues and say, wait a minute, did you know that that's probably propaganda? Yeah. You know, and, and like you say, to go, wait a minute. You know, that's not true. And one of the other things that they have used to move the Overton window over to the left is they say, study show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's like, who's study? Yeah. So it is important that we move the Overton window back to, to more free. And we have an opportunity here in Colorado because the veil is now off. Uh, I think many young people, many, you know, hardworking folks thought that the Democrat Party cared about them and the radical activists that have taken over the democrat party don't really care about them it's all about power and this is not the democrat party of your grandpa and grandma 
uh, JFK would probably be a, a a Republican these days. Maybe a, yeah, somewhat of a moderate, but a, yeah, Republican, yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. So, Roger Bianco, thanks so much for being with me. Thank you for having me. I hope it was helpful.